Hello, I'm Dylan. I'm Keon. And this is Zenith, that podcast with giant cockroach outfits, because this week we watched Killer. Written by Rob Holmes. Robert Holmes, I'll say his full name. It's the first time he's appeared on Blake 7. Directed by V. Lorimer. And aired on February 20th, 1979. Good old Bobbert Holmes. (laughs) And... Yeah, Bob Bob Holmes, this is the first of apparently four stories that he writes for... uh, Wow, I almost called it Trust Your Doctor Blake 7. (laughs) He writes... He writes lots of... He writes lots of stories for Trust Your Doctor is what I was trying to say. No. You mean doctor? (laughs) So this is the first of a couple stories that he writes. And apparently this story was supposed to take place. uh, This was supposed to be the second story this season. And so they filmed like a really brief part for Gan where he just (laughs) operates the teleporter. And then after that, after they moved it, after Pressure Point, they just cut that scene entirely out of, of the... Yeah, well, it, I mean, it flows pretty well without Gan, probably better than it would have with him. There's also which apparently, is really sad. apparently later when they say Serverland is coming to the planet in the original draft, there was it was a reference to Serverland and Travis, but after trial with Travis and yeah. Serverland being on poor terms, they just cut it to just be Serverland. Huh, that's interesting. So, yeah. Anyway, the story begins like just in the middle of some sort of expedition because it's, yeah, it's it's Avon and Villa in the teleport room, and they're like, "So you know where to put us down." Callie's like, "Don't this worry, is Callie's I only got part this. in this story." Yeah, Callie didn't have a huge part to play in this. Neither did Jenna really. And you know, I was honestly okay with this because I maybe don't prefer, but I'm okay with when episodes focus on certain characters as long as it's not the same character being constantly neglected like Gan was and Callie. Not so much Jenna, so maybe it's not as okay with Jenna, but Callie's been given a lot to do this mm-hmm. season so far. Right. So I'm okay with her playing like a reduced role in this episode. She has a pretty bitchin' outfit though. <laughs> it's like it's like red black. It looks it looks more black from certain angles and more red from other angles. I don't know. I think it's really cool. I wasn't even paying attention to it. Jenna is also wearing like this bl- bright blue and white tunic type thing. Yeah, so... So they, they get down, they run through a few fields. Yeah, this, this I made a note of this. I was like, is this just a factory in London somewhere? It looks <laughs> like they just filmed outside a factory. <laughs> they run through these fields and, and Sound of Music is playing. Happily <laughs> skin. No, no. I mean, there, there is like fields full of grass, which you barely see at like in Lake 7 at all. I mean, the, the Forbidden Zone was a, a grassy field, but that's mm-hmm. like one of the only instances, I guess, the field that Kozer and What's-Her-Face landed the ship in also, but sort of an Kozer odd... Kozer and Rochelle? Yeah, it's sort of an odd sight for Blake 7. A field outside a factory? Yeah, I mean... Or just fields in general, just grass in general. There doesn't seem to be any grass left in this universe. <laughs> well, so Villa and Avon, like, get inside and then in order to disguise themselves, put on, like, the most impractical Blake 7 outfit <laughs> okay. we've seen in existence. I have, I have a huge problem with these outfits, okay? Yeah, so do I. <laughs> because these are the outfits that the people at this base wear, which is fine. They're, they're, they look like giant cockroach outfits. <laughs> and they look really cumbersome and hard to move in. Mm-hmm. And the people, the actors in this are obviously having a really hard time just getting around and maneuvering in these outfits, which is all right because they're giant cumbersome suits. Right. But at the same time it sort of takes you out of the moment because these people are supposed to be wearing these outfits day in, day out. You know, you'd think that 
even if they are cumbersome, they would have adjusted to them and been able to sort of get around in them a little more easily than they were without getting like stuck in doorways, which they are <laughs> more fre- more frequently than they're not actually. I mean, but not only that, it looks like they're made out of like legitimate plastic. Yeah. Yeah. The they actually look like they're just made out of plastic. Yeah. <laughs> and so like they don't bend at all. And they're not, like, form-fitting. They just look like they have massive shoulder pads, and then you kind of just slip it over your head, kind of like a, like one of those sandwich board signs that you yeah. wear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have this giant piece on the back, too, which looks like cockroach wings. I don't know, like beetle wings, I guess. Yeah. Folded. So... So they, they go and meet Tynus. We, saw, we see Tynus... Mm-hmm. painting i guess so it looks more like he's just coloring in a coloring book he's painting some bugs and a guard comes in or someone working there comes in and they reference dr uh, bellfryer yeah tinus is like don't know what Belfryer's doing here of all places out in the backwater of the galaxy when he's an eminent scientist he's apparently the foremost expert on viruses in the entire federation uh, apparently and so he's at this this base doing like medical research on the viruses. This is apparently like a major command center for the Federation. And I think right now is when we find out that the reason why Avon and Villa are here are because the Federation have started sending their transmissions with a new encoding pattern. Yeah, it's it, it's actually not a, a major center in terms of like where it is because it's out in the middle of nowhere supposedly, right. but they're using it. Probably, I guess, smartly because it sort of masks what they're doing, but they're using it to house like this thing that this like encoding device thing, similar to what we saw in Seek, Locate, Destroy, but not right. exactly the same. And yeah, so this new system, I think Avon like kind of explains it to Tynus right now. Yeah. It uses like a crystal to like oscillate and uh, kind of confuse the signals that they send out like it's called like alpha wave transmission or something i think they call it basically it's it's an encoding device basically it like scrambles the their messages and avon wants tinus's help basically cracking the code and tinus is like it's impossible and tinus leaves them in his like private room which is apparently just like through this wall tinus has his sort of office and then there's like a trap door thing which leads to his private room yeah i don't know if this was supposed to be like just another room or if this was like something Tynus installed like I have this back door in here that nobody knows about because the door is literally just a wall like a trap wall that you push and go through Villa and Avon have some funny dialogue here when Tynus leaves and Villa's like you know I always said it Avon must have a friend somewhere in the galaxy and Avon's like wow that must be a weird feeling for you being right for once yeah because Tynus was part of the operation that Avon took part in that got him arrested and he never sold Tynus out, which is why he's coming to collect that debt from Tynus right now, because Tynus doesn't want to help him. He's like, well, if you don't help, I'm just going to leak that you were involved with the, I forget what it was actually, what got Avon arrested. I don't the think bank, they even like a, explain it in this story. Well, it was in, yeah, they don't explain it in this. It was in Wayback, which I was, think it was some like a bank robbery fraud, or, it was fraud or something like that. Yeah, a bank robbery, I think. But he never sold Tynus out. And, and apparently Tynus works for the Federation now <laughs> yeah. in a really high-ranking position. I mean, maybe he always did. Maybe. But yeah, you, maybe, you he was the, maybe he was the inside man for Avon. Sure. Although I, mean, I don't know why yeah, a Federation Ava- man would be in a bank. Avon at least worked for the Federation to some capacity because he was part of the teleportation project before that fell through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that plot thread. <laughs> 
Not really a plot thread, more of just something they mentioned and never brought up again. That is true. So then Tynus takes, he, he basically tells this guy to send a message and then he walks out of his office with him so that Avon and Villa can't hear him and basically hands him another secret message and says, hey, can you send this to Sovaland, by the way? Yeah, does he do that now? Yeah, because he leaves, he first leaves his secret room because someone comes into the room and he's talking with them and they have like a message for him and he's like, oh, I have a message huh. that needs to be sent to. And then he sends like the secret message. You don't know what's on the secret message and you actually don't know where Tynus is sending it. That's my mistake. Yeah, he didn't say send yes. it to Sova and he said like, hey, can you send this secret message? Can you send it in code maximum in code encryption? Yeah, that's why I wasn't, that's why I was surprised when we find out that he's working with Servland later. Uh, but he does send like a, a, an encrypted message now. And I was like, okay, he's obviously selling them out right now. I didn't say that oh. at all. So that's why I was kind <laughs> of surprised obvious to me. On. Yeah, I guess in hindsight, it probably was obvious. But they come up with a new plan because Tynus isn't on board with their original plan or something. Mm-hmm. So their new plan they come up with is, it's kind of complicated. It's that they need to, so the crystal is housed in this room that's really hot, I think. Right. And it's manned by three people at all times. So there's no way that they can just get in steal the crystal and even and avon says that even if they did that they would immediately know like the federation would know who has the crystal so that's not even a good plan in the first place but what they need to do is they're going to fake an electrical or they're going to cause an electrical fire which is going to cause the three people in the room to go to their fire drill stations or whatever Mm -hmm. which is going to give them enough time to go in the room and like they, they weren't just going to directly steal the crystal. They were going to... Yeah, at first, Avon said they wanted to, like... They wanted to, like... I, I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but he basically wanted to, like, mess with the crystal so that it doesn't encode the encryptions correctly so that that way they can j- make the, the, like, broken encryption. They were going to... What they were going to do is fake that the crystal is broken. Mm-hmm. Get, get a replacement crystal installed... And then, and then take, take the, the one that was one. supposedly broken. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't work out like that because, in meanwhile, in space, there's just a, a derelict ship riding on by. Where yeah, which Blake showed up. They, and they actually bring back the, uh, the masking device that Avon installed in Horizon, surprisingly, because that's how the Federation hasn't detected the Liberator, which is basically right there near the planet. Oh, yeah, because... I forgot about this other funny dialogue. Tynus is like, how did we not detect your ship? And Villa's like, oh, we have an anti-detection device. Another one of Avon's gadgets. We're all expecting it to break down (laughs) rather soon. Villa had a lot of one-liners in this. And I mean, you can really tell this wasn't written by Chris Boucher because Avon isn't (laughs) as clever as he normally is. Avon's like barely even the focus. It feels like Villa's the main character here. Yeah, there's a there's one specific one later. I forget what it was actually, but I really liked a line from Villa later on. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, I'll remember it before this episode is over. But anyway, uh, Blake and Jenna, and I guess Callie, though she's in the other room, have detected this spaceship, and they realize that it's extremely old, at least seven hundred years yeah, old. Seven hundred years old because it's an it's a it's an original Earth spaceship. Yeah, one, one of the, the first ships to go into deep space. One of the OG colony ships. And they mentioned that there's no way it would have even been able to get out here because even flying at like its maximum speed mm-hmm. from that it started out like 700 years ago would have taken like 3,000 years to get to their location. Yeah, because I think Blake, well, 
Blake's like, well, this is kind of suspicious because I thought all the colony ships made it to their destination. So he asks Orak to look up information on the ships and the Orak comes back and says, oh yeah, there was one, uh, I think K-47? I don't remember is, what it was. Is its designation? Yeah, K-47 got lost and didn't make it to, to its destination. It got lost in like some uncharted region of space. Yeah, there's this sort of Bermuda Triangle-ish region where ships just disappear. Yeah, this was really funny later on when Blake's like looking at Belfry's star charts and it's just a big circle that just says not charted in the yeah. middle. So I was like, okay. But so Blake is like really enjoying this. I mean, I feel like he could have just popped a metaphorical bag of popcorn right there and it would have fit right in because he's just sitting on the, on the bridge like watching the ship get <laughs> flying by. And he's just like, I'm really enjoying this because the, the, the base sends up like a shuttle pod or some sort to Yeah, they're going to go investigate. investigate. And Blake also wants to go to investigate, which he doesn't. Yeah, because I think Jenna talks him out of it. Yeah, but he what he does do is that he goes down to Cubase. This is base, the Federation base is called Cubase. Mm-hmm. He goes down there to their shuttle operation that they're sending up to the spaceship. And he gets caught in a corridor that's being flooded with gas or something. Right. And Belfryer is looking on his view screen, Belfryer and his assistant, whose name I forgot. I actually never really knew his assistant's name. Bax? Was it no, I don't think Weiler? It was, yeah, Weiler. No, Weiler. No, Weiler was the one who performed the autopsy. All oh, right. Bax uh, was the guy who died. Uh, was it Gambrel? Uh, might have been Gambrel. Might have been Tack. I don't think it was Tack. I think it was Gambrel. Gambrel or Bax? Just, just click Gambrel. <laughs> okay, I'll click. Oh, <laughs> uh, great. There's no picture. Yeah, was Belfry's assistant. Okay, yeah. So Gambrel. Who, by the way, looks like Art Garfunkel to me, but anyway. <laughs> We'll put pictures in the show notes. <laughs> Decide for yourself. So so Belfryer and Gambrel are looking on the screen and they're like, what is that guy doing there? Like, come on, get out of there. And he, he does. I think Gambrel goes and escorts Blake out. And he's like, who are you? Well, you're not one of us. Your clothes are completely different. Like, what are you doing here? And Blake's like, don't ask questions. Just take me to your leader. <laughs> and he's like, he, well, so well, actually they watch on like a, a screen when Blake comes down. Yeah, because the, yeah, that's what I said. And then... Uh, the, we didn't ba- mention well, the space... Gamble the... is like really concerned because he thinks Blake is going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why he goes in there. I mean, he wouldn't have gone in there otherwise. Yeah, that's what we just explained. But we didn't mention the the Stay Puffed Marshmallow yeah. Man uh, space outfit. The, the reason why <laughs> he thinks Blake's going to die is because everybody else is wearing these suits... That basically protect them the from like Cowboy. yeah, that oh, protect them from like any radiation or like it's just a contained impurities. environment. Yeah, yeah, it's like a bio suit basically. And Blake doesn't have one on, which is also why Gamble's like surprised to see him on the screen because he's like also, that dude doesn't have a suit on. Which is also why Blake might have contracted the virus, as might also Avon and Villa. I think they're fine. <laughs> They just, that's how they all go out in the last episode. The virus just, just finally them. catches up to them. <laughs> and yeah, so Blake just meets up with Belfry and just sits down. He just is like, yeah, you may know me. Uh, my name is Blake. And Belfry is like, cool. The Federation calls me a political criminal. And he's like, Belfry is just like, cool. He's like completely <laughs> unconcerned about this. He says like, well, in that case, we seem to have forgotten your name. And Gambrel's all right with it too. 
I guess. I mean, as we saw in the in, one where Gan had to get surgery. Uh, breakdown. Yeah, breakdown. There are definitely Blake sympathizers within the Federation. Mm-hmm. And so Blake basically, he can't do anything right now because they found a body on the on the... On the ship. On the colony ship. They brought it back down already. They're basically going to perform an autopsy on it. And I was like, man, this is the smartest thing in the Blake 7 universe. Because Belfast is like, as part of standard procedure, we do all of our autopsies in a completely sealed room in case there's any, like, danger of of deadly disease or whatever. Yeah. Doesn't really stop anything in this story because they just (laughs) open the containment room. (laughs) Because the body turns out not to be a body, turns out to be alive. Well... Well, not, I mean, well, not exactly, but we also skipped the part where Callie telepathically contacts the ship and says, like, hmm, seems to be human life. No, wait, non-human or something like that. She says she senses an evil presence on the ship, and yeah. Blake is like, that's kind of weird. Yeah, they start performing this autopsy, and this this doctor, um, Wyla, I think, is He's the best doctor in the Federation, apparently. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I thought, um... Well, What's his name? Well, from? he's dead now, remember? Yeah, all right. Well, he was the best surgeon, too, so we don't know if Weiler's a surgeon, although, I mean, probably is. I think you have to be a surgeon to do autopsies. I don't know. I think so. I mean, I know, like, when you go to medical, I mean, obviously, we're... We're, we're talking bring, about things we don't know. I mean, we're talking about things we don't know. We're also talking about this in modern terms when this is, like, hundreds yeah, of years into the exactly. future. Exactly. That's also true. But, yeah, I think when you, like, when you go to medical school, you have to dissect a cadaver as part of your training, no matter what you end up doing. I honestly don't know. So Yeah. Kinda like how we dissected what frogs in elementary school? Frogs, goat eyes. I did goat eyes in middle school. I didn't do anything in middle school. We did other stuff too, but anyway. This guy the Weiler narrates his autopsy. Right. And the thing just looks like a charred body. Charred, burned body doesn't I mean, considering even look it's, like a human anymore i mean it's humanoid at least considering this thing's like it, probably 700 years old well it's it is pretty well because yeah, wireless says the genetic pattern matches that of the captain of the ship and i don't yeah, know he, finds, he, find, he finds a locket with the guy's name on it and um which matches the name that blake got from orac earlier on and blake's like are you sure about that he should be dead for 600 years and he's like yeah yeah pretty sure and then the body just stands up and you're like whoa Whoa. Yeah, stands up, kills Weiler. And this is where everything just starts to go to pot, really. Yeah, the, the body then dies after that. And I forget who, this is actually a little later on, but I forget who, I think it's Blake, says that uh, there was an implant on the... They talk about it in sort of the same terms as a limiter, and um, in, I think, Time Squad, Gan wonders about like the capacity of a limiter to control something remotely like um when he's talking about zen so what they discuss here is that this thing has an electrical implant which i guess is sort of similar to limiter technology that mm-hmm. um which is what control so it's a dead body it's being controlled remotely right from the ship i think they speculate from the ship but i don't think they actually know where it's being or, controlled or at least from. if not controlled remotely it's like been programmed to do this right right so after after its purpose has been achieved, which is, I guess, killing Weiler, which that's what they speculate for now, it just dies. Well, yeah, the electrical circuit yeah. cuts off. And so the body yeah. I mean, the, I mean, body the body's dead. been dead forever, but yeah. So now we cut, we cut back to Avon and Villa. Yeah, this was a, something weird in this story is 
I mean, it wasn't that out of place. You know, there were sort of two things going on at once, which isn't odd for a Blake 7 episode. But every Mm -hmm. time they cut back, I was like, oh, yeah, there's this thing going on with Villa and Avon. Well, what was just weird to me is that I didn't realize uh, that that Blake had gone down to the same base that (laughs) Avon and Villa were in. You didn't? (laughs) No, I didn't realize that at first. I mean, I figured it out pretty quickly. When you saw the cockroach outfits on both ends? Yes. (laughs) But like when Blake was beaming down, I didn't realize it was the same thing. For some reason, I thought that there was like a a space station that Blake beamed to that was in orbit. (laughs) I think I kind of just missed the uh, the line of dialogue that indicated Blake was going down to the planet. So that's all good, though. I figured it out. I mean, it's it's like it's not not like you couldn't figure it out because of the freaking cockroach outfits, right? <laughs> so Avon and Villa they basically enact this plan to just go into the the control room and they, they first, investigate okay, first, the crystal. Yeah, first, they plan it out, right? They do it like really sneakily, and they, they do it on- Ocean's Eleven style. <laughs> They put on these glasses, too, that make them look even more like cockroaches. I don't know why that makes them look more like cockroaches, but it does. it makes their eyes look more bug-like. But co- you, like, if you look at a cockroach, it doesn't even really have, like... It's a stylized cockroach. <laughs> it's a cartoon cockroach. <laughs> cockroach 7. So they go in, and they do it real subtly. They just make some hand motions, just doing their own thing, and Avon mm-hmm. goes out and checks out where the crystal is. Which yeah, is like this is really alcove in the front of the room. This is kind of funny because Avon just walks over there and just drops to his knees. Then <laughs> one guy's like, "Wait, what the hell?" So he stands up to go see what Avon's doing, and then Tynus is just like, "Hey, you have a message there on your console." <laughs> the guy just sits back down to look at the message, <laughs> <laughs> and then Avon stands up and just nonchalantly walks away, and then they leave. <laughs> and then just, no one is concerned about the fact that just, this dude just like dropped to his knees and was like, yo, yeah, what's just, going on? Just a, just a routine checkup on the crystal. <laughs> mm, just got to investigate the uh, computer system back here. Avon doesn't have his long pointy stick, so I don't know how he intends to do any computer hacking here. He gets it later on. Villa tosses it to him. Actually, that was earlier on when they were breaking in. And then... They go back to Tynus's secret room, I guess. And they kind of just chill there for a while. Tynus brings them, like, cocktails later. <laughs> well, Tynus leaves. He says he's going to go get them some food. And Avon's like, make sure it's a massive portion. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Blake is like... <laughs> Blake is like, I could teleport out, but I'm enjoying this. <laughs> because well, the virus... They, like, open the door for some reason, and then this virus starts to spread yeah, from Wyler's body. because yeah, they see Wyler dying. There's a few people, including Gambrel, looking on into the surgery or the autopsy. They see uh, they see <laughs> Wyler get killed. They're like, what the heck? So they open the closed environment, letting the virus free throughout, uh, I think, just a portion of the base, just like the medical area mm-hmm. at first, although it spreads rapidly. They contact Bax, I think, who is in charge of, like, a sick bay or whatever. Yeah, and Bax is like, look, I'm putting the entire sick bay on shutdown. This yeah, is too dangerous. The people, yeah, a couple people just died. So that's what happens. And Blake and Belfryer, have, they have their own theories about what's going on. Yeah, they're, like, really nonchalant about this. They're just yeah. sitting there like, yeah, you know, it could be this, could be that. Well, Blake has the option to just teleport out whenever he wants, but <laughs> Belfryer is pretty calm about this. Blake, it feels like Blake realizes that he's in the middle of, of a total and utter disaster, and he's just <laughs> observing it. and enjoying, and then he's enjoying just going to leave right at the last moment. Yeah, some people just want to watch the world burn. Yeah, some people like to light the flame. So, Blake... So, okay, so actually Avon and Villa 
realize what Tynus is up to because, because Tynus... Well, Villa finds the, the message. Yeah, so what Tynus does is he has this device, and this was part of the crystal mechanism or something, but he just crushes it and drops it on the floor, and he's like, pick that up, Villa. Villa's like, ah, oh, fine. So he gets this piece of paper and starts scooping up the charred remains, and, he, and he's like, wait a minute. He realizes what's on the paper, brushes off the... The dust, and he's like, "Look at this, Avon. Tynus has contacted Servalan. His Tynus just left this message on the table." Avon's <laughs> like, "Wow, guess I don't have any friends after all." Freaking Tynus. Yeah, I think I think Villa says something like, "Yeah, your friends really go to great lengths for you, Avon. Read this." Villa has a great line later on. I can't believe I'm forgetting it now. Better than all his other ones. Tynus is also wearing like a sweatband we forgot to mention. He puts he I think he puts it on like halfway through the story. I don't remember him having it on at the beginning. And he like storms out of the room at one point really angrily. Right now, actually, when Avon confronts him, he like storms out of the room really angrily. And it just looks really comical because of the massive shoulder pads and comical cockroach outfit, which like just barely fits through the door that he marches through. Well, they don't really confront him because he brings back their shakes their protein shakes (laughs) and they're like villa's like i've lost my appetite yeah they don't drink them because they think they're poisoned and then tinus then leaves to do something else and he he asks them to stay in the back room area and avon's like hell no because also i think what happens is they hear or they overhear tinus gets told that basically the entire base is in dis actually no that tinus contacts belfryer right after this and that's how they find out the whole base is in disarray because Belfry is like look we don't know what's going on we can't find a cure right now because all of our medical staff just keeled over and died yeah because the virus kills you in a couple minutes and people and are running around chaos everywhere Gambrel dies at one point right well so Gamble yeah, doesn't die yet he- Gamble yeah. uh, Belfry is trying to get everybody to stay in the base and, and Gambrel's going to do that in a practical sense by stopping the people from running out of the base and spreading the virus. But nobody's listening to him. Mm-hmm. And then he just keels over and dies. Yeah, so he dies. We didn't oh, yeah, mention the virus makes you lose your memory right before you die. Belfryer is like, tell the guards they can fire on them if they have to to keep them inside the base. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, Belfryer. Well, I mean, it's either that or have this deadly virus that kills people in minutes spread. Mm-hmm. Well, so Blake then is like, well, you don't have the processing power to analyze the virus right now, but I have the most powerful computer ever invented on my ship. I'm going to take this data up to my ship and I'll contact you with anything we find. I think Blake is also using this as an excuse to get out before he gets the virus too. Well, Blake has also made up a theory about what the virus is. He says that there's an alien race in the circle that they've never been able to chart Mm -hmm. and that they infected the ship with the virus and sent it back. Right, to kill all the humans or whatever. Yeah. Which is somewhat true based on what they find out later, I guess. Somewhat but, true, but not entirely. Yeah, but meanwhile, Tynus, Avon, and Villa are starting to enact the plan. Mm-hmm. Because we didn't mention, but Avon's only going to have a 10-minute window to get the crystal out in time. Right. And Blake... Well, so Blake goes up to the ship and puts the data into Orac and... This is also when Avon and Villa find out the whole base is in disarray because Belfry is like panicking because Gamble's dead. Everybody's dead. He can't find the cure. 
Tynus is like, we thought you were the best virologist in all of the Federation. And Belfair is like, apparently not. And Tynus is like, I'm going to report you to the medical board. And then Belfair is like, I really don't think any of us are going to care about the medical board in a couple minutes. (laughs) So Avon and Villa come up with this plan to go. Well, actually, earlier on, Avon or Villa suggested that they just go steal the crystal right now. And Avon says no, because then the Federation will know who has the crystal. But then now, as since the base is in chaos, uh, Avon suggests that the Federation would just think that the crystal was destroyed in all the chaos and the fire. Well, so because they were going to light the fire to set off the fire alarm. So then Avon says, well, let's just, if we completely destroy the console room, then the Federation will think that it was just destroyed in the fire and the crystal was destroyed as well. Which... Is not entirely true because they tried this once before and Travis immediately saw through their plan. This is the first time they stole the the device. Yeah, the, the code, machine. code machine. They like blew up the entire room and then Travis came in and was like, I want to document every <laughs> single piece of debris in this room and they found out that the, the device wasn't there. Yeah, well, second time's the charm, I guess. And also they put a plague warning on the planet so no one's going to come down and investigate anyway. Well, that's a little bit later. That's like at the end. But, yeah, they they go and do this. They go and try and steal a crystal. Avon has his 10 minutes. Yeah, Avon has his 10 minutes of glory where they steal the crystal. But then Tynus comes in and they they fight. And Villa's got the gun trained on him because he's going to, I guess, shoot Tynus. Yeah, he's trying to shoot Tynus, but Tynus and Avon are, like, fist fighting. Or they have each other in, like, a hold, so he can't get a clear shot on Tynus. I also wanted to mention that Tynus's gun is the same gun that Largo's henchmen used on to capture Gan in um, Shadow. It's like the coolest gun design on Blake 7 so far, and it has like a little mini Zen on it. Like that little like orb. A little, the yeah, little, it has a little, uh, orb, little orb. Which kind of makes me think it might have been used in the in um, Redemption. In Redemption? But I'm not sure Possibly. about that. It's definitely in Shadow, and it's definitely in this. I don't remember seeing any guns at all in Redemption, actually, now that I think about it. I think they're worse. I mean... I mean, okay, they... I don't remember what they looked like. They probably they definitely were. were. Yeah, I'm just not remembering what, they, what like. they look like. I found this forum recently. It's actually pretty active considering what it is, but it's it's dedicated to like props and hardware from old British TV shows. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, that reminds me of the Star Trek wiki. The Star Trek wiki is like the most dense show-based wiki in existence. Have you been on the Star Wars one? I mean, but I mean, like, in terms of of out-of-universe stuff, because every single episode page has an entire Apocrypha section that just talks about what sets in in that episode were reused, where all the props ended up, if we know, and then also basically the conception behind the episode and basically anything from the commentary on that episode that's useful about the production of that episode. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah, the Star Wars wiki is also... Massive, not only because it's Star Wars and super popular, but because when Disney erased all the canon, they didn't just erase all the information. They have like this old, every page basically has an old canon and a new canon section. They're yeah. both like fully they fleshed out. They have like a out. canon and a legends yeah. tab. Yeah, the Star Trek wiki is massive. <laughs> Good on you guys, I guess. The Doctor Who one's actually rather large too the doctor who one is the most professional looking one of all the wikia sites probably the star trek one actually looks really professional i think Mm. in my opinion Mm. i don't know i've only been on it like once for two seconds 
probably the, the thing about the Star Trek wiki is that there's there's two separate Star Trek wikis. There's one entirely dedicated just to what Paramount considers canon, which is everything that was broadcast, so TV shows and movies. And then there's an entire another wiki dedicated just to the books, comics, and everything that's not Jesus. considered major canon. So I should just combine those two in one. Although a lot of things have two different wikis now that wikis are getting so popular because they there's usually like one there's multiple wiki ones on the wikia network and one usually takes off but there are also other ones and then there's some people just create their own independent wikis as well well i think the reason why they want to separate like that for star trek is because paramount and cbs have like very explicitly said only what's broadcast is considered canon yeah but they can do like they did in star wars and have two different tabs that would be a lot easier they could i guess but there are like certain things that only show up in like the books or something so then for that, mm-hmm. you would have to have like a specific non-canon page. And I think they just wanted to avoid clutter, especially when the Memory Alpha, the Star Trek canon wiki is so large already because they're covering six, I think. Hang on, Next Generation DS9. <laughs> Seven television series on one wiki. I don't know. Yeah, that's just a massive digression though. I mean, the Blake 7 wiki is like really poor, to <laughs> be honest. Well, that's understandable. Yeah, because it's, it's not really like, popular anymore. Well, we're bringing it back. Let's be yeah. honest. We're bringing it back. Are we, though? We get like over 100 downloads per episode now. Yeah. Anyway, Avon and Villa teleport out to the spaceship. Blake is teleported to the spaceship. Blake gets contacted by Belfry. Okay, well, first Blake contacts Belfry and is like, hey, you have a similar virus in your storage banks uh, in section 982. Belfry is like, ah, oh, that's it. That's what we were looking for. So he goes and he he investigates. Then he contacts Blake and he's like, hey, so here's the genetic makeup of the virus or whatever. Yeah, he he basically says, oh, the virus, the virus doesn't kill all humans. It's designed specifically to attack humans who have a, a who've a been speci- in space, basically. Yeah, there's like if you've been in space, this certain thing happens to your metabolism or your your cells that the virus picks up on, and then it, it kills you in in you know, minutes if you've been into space. So he, so Belfire now theorizes that the virus wasn't designed to kill all humans just to contain them to earth because any humans who hadn't been into space would not be, uh, affected. Would not be affected and obviously not just contain them just to earth because humans will be born on other planets and they wouldn't have been to space. Yeah. So this Blake seven, actually, now that I look at it and now that I'm writing a few papers about ecology, this is why I'm probably interested, but it actually has, a, there's a lot of like ecological concepts in Blake seven and like this, how they like treat space travel at least in this episode um is like a big thing in like modern ecological studies when they when ecology talks about space travel i guess right because they don't do so in a way or like yeah environmental studies doesn't really discuss space travel it like complicates space travel by not having it by not assuming that's like a good thing right whereas like you know back in the 60s and 50s in the space race and stuff it was like definitely perceived as like a good thing to be able to go to space well i think as part of the reason in the 50s and the 60s it was like an ego thing as well it was partially that but also partially because there needed to be some big unification thing i think because i think like the united states had been very fractured uh, socially until that point and going to the moon was like a, a definitive goal that people could work towards and, and root for. And then also he just wanted to beat the Soviets. Well, there's that scene in the um, sun. What is that movie called? Uh, I'm forgetting. Which one? What's it about? It's, it's like this 
and I've only, I don't, I've only seen one scene from it too. So this is why I don't really know what it's about that much, but basically Sun Ra, this sort of ancient Egyptian guy. And this mm-hmm. was, this is a, it's, the guy playing him is like a musician or he's famous or he's known for something else. And I completely don't even know the history behind it, but he goes to this classroom and the, I mean, the classroom's all black. It's, you know, black kids mm-hmm. and talks about like, he talks about a lot of stuff, but one of the things he says is like, well, you know, the U S just got to the moon and you weren't invited or something like that. So, <laughs> well, I mean, NASA, a lot of people didn't know about a lot of the contributions by, I guess, African-American, non-white people, basically. I mean, a lot of the calculations for the moon landing were done by, by, right, but on the, right, but on the face of it, and like you see the, the people going up and it's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because the public image is Neil Armstrong, good old country boy from, Ohio, and was Neil Armstrong from Ohio? I don't know. I have no idea. But you know, going to the moon wasn't just a one-person effort. Going to the moon was a was a thousands of people and thousands and thousands of man hours and work. Yeah, so. but I mean, I still understand where the sentiment in this well, yeah, movie no, is of coming from. I, I do too. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to, to dis- dispute the the movie. I completely agree with it actually but and like yeah i can't believe i'm forgetting like basically all the details surrounding what you need to look up this movie and watch it but i'll put it in the show notes anyway what were we saying well so blake and avon are up on the ship and the guy explains that it's containing humans to planets and then basically he he dies before we can give them the cure yeah because he because the virus also makes you forget it makes you lose your memory right before you die. Mm-hmm. So he he forgets how to read before he can read off the genetic the, makeup yeah, or the, the vaccine the or whatever it is. The antivirus, uh, he says. He starts with H2, I think, and then he's like, I've forgotten how to read, and then he dies. And then Blake and Avon have this argument because Serverland's coming to the planet. Uh, so Avon thinks he should just they should just let Serverland come to the planet and get infected and die. And then Blake says, if they do that, the virus will spread across the whole galaxy because it'll be... Serverland's ship will take it off the planet. Yeah. And it could, you know, basically wipe out the human race. And Blake said that's not a responsibility he's willing to have. Right. So he puts a plague warning on the planet and they leave. Yep. That's that. They're basically quarantined the planet, essentially. Uh, obviously, someone's not going to believe this plague warning on the land of the planet and just keel over and die. <laughs> uh, you know it's going to happen. But... Not right but it's now. just a TV show, so we can just move on. Yeah, and not we can worry just pretend it. it never happens because we never see it. <laughs> Anything that doesn't happen on screen never happens. <laughs> yeah, really good episode. So yeah, I guess we should I get really into our rankings. Uh, for the first time in existence, I'm not ranking it based on something in the actual episode itself because I couldn't think of anything in the episode that encapsulated how I felt. So I'm ranking this a um, like a tuxedo suit jacket has the long tails so there's like two separate plot lines in this story right there's the blake plot line and the avon plot line but they're really well meshed together into one coherent story (laughs) that i think is really good it's like a tuxedo jacket has these two long tails who wears that in blake seven nobody oh so it's just outside of blake seven yes all right fine (laughs) join into one (laughs) 
I tried really hard to come up with something that encapsulated that on the show. I tried for like an hour trying to come up with something, and I just couldn't come up with something <laughs> on Blake 7 that, that encapsulates that. So, Well, see, I really enjoyed this episode, and I, I thought it had you know, a lot. I guess now that I think about it right now, sorry for interrupting, I just realized I could have rated it a Travis because Travis has a mechanical arm but also has biological components. He has a mechanical arm? I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I don't remember that It gets shot off by Avon in that one episode last season. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, mechanical an and biological components that join together into one complete, very good overall part so yeah i guess i guess i could rate this a travis or a tuxedo suit you know what take your pick me a travis in a tuxedo suit why not if you're a fan artist out there you can draw that anyway sorry for interrupting you can continue with your rating now <laughs> well i was just gonna say that you know i really really liked this episode so uh, i rated it a, a tinus because <laughs> because <laughs> okay okay so here's okay, the, wait. Here's i want to hear the justification for here's this the thing so see tiny this episode could have been the best episode of this season although shadow was also really good and there were a couple other ones that sort of rivaled this as well in terms of how good they were uh but this one was up there and just had a few things standing in its way just like how tinus could have gone far in the federation and could have you know risen in the ranks if he'd contacted serverland and let him know about Avon and Villa, but there were just a few things getting in his way, namely Avon and Villa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Didn't he actually send that message, though, and then just accidentally forget to discard the paper after he sent it? Yeah, yeah, he did, but, like, he got killed, so... Yeah, by that virus yeah. that he had no control over. Yeah, so, you know, there were a couple things standing in his way there. <laughs> yeah, things completely out of his control. Unfortunate. Yeah, and just like how the show is completely out of my control, this was good. There were a few things that were better, but this one, you know, sort of stands up against them. We forgot to mention what Doctor Who aired around this time, which is weird because we mentioned Bob Holmes writing for Doctor yeah. Who. Uh, this airs after Armageddon Factor, so we're in the er- the area between series, uh, I believe, 17 and 18. Yeah. No, sorry, 16 and 17. Yeah, so there won't, I think this season will end before Doctor Who comes back. Yeah, it does. It does. And I think actually Doctor Who moves airing dates for series seven, season 17. So I actually don't think they'll overlap for a while again. But we'll keep you updated on that front. So, yeah, Robert, I think this is a strong... F- well, I'm curious to see how or what Robert Holmes is going to... Bob Holmes is going to turn in for his later scripts. Because he writes four four episodes for Blake 7. And this is one of them. So he writes three more. And... He's one of those prolific British writers that seems to have written for everything in the 70s and 80s, much like Chris Boucher and Terry Nation, I guess. Well, he's kind of... Eh, I mean, I don't know if I really want to say this, but sure, I'll say it anyway. He's kind of like... He's for Doctor Who what Chris Boucher kind of is for Blake 7, right? He didn't really create mm-hmm. the show, but he sort of gave he it a lot of the form. He revitalized it, I think. Yeah, he, he gave it a lot of what it's known for. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Even when Robert Holmes wasn't the script editor a lot of the things he introduced were what would continue throughout the show you know he introduced the 13 regeneration limit yeah. you know back in the third doctor's era i don't remember and what the, story it was now he basically introduced the time lords yeah <laughs> did he write war games yeah he did yeah so he introduced the time lords not that they were called that in the war games but no <laughs> but and so yeah he he i mean yeah he basically made that show what it was in the in the 70s and 80s, definitely. 
I don't really have anything else to say about this, actually. Yeah, and I just thought this was a really good episode. Really, really good episode. Solid. Series B is really solid. Kind of felt like a Series A episode, almost. Almost. There wasn't as much, like, melodrama as much as... Uh, as there wasn't as much melodrama as there has been in the past few episodes. And it didn't, end on a weird, it didn't end on a weird sitcom note. <laughs> but that's just weird for Blake 7 in general, that it didn't end on a weird sitcom I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway... You can email us at thedoctordecadavegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters. Your thoughts on... What should we have for the thoughts on? Plagues. <laughs> sure. Do you think Blake should have issued the plague warning or not? Yeah. Are you with Blake on this plague warning? Are you with Avon? Just let them all die. You can find us on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith, a Blake 7 podcast. Please leave a rating if you like the show. Check us out on Facebook. Trust your doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching Hostage. But until then, the end.